Good morning. Uh, wherever and however you're listening to my voice right now, I'm, I'm glad you're here, wherever it is that you are. I was just thinking uh, it's, it's really not fair that uh, I'm, I'm in this room all by myself. All I can look at is uh, names taped to pews and you're able to look at me. But uh, I just want you to know I'm imagining everyone with their, their hair a little bit longer and uh, men with their beards grown out and uh, things like that. So everybody's a little bit disheveled in my, in my mind's eye this morning. Uh, I want to invite you wherever you are to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to begin this morning by thinking about the difference between uh, local churches and the universal church, capital C. A local church like ours is a visible gathering of believers in one place at one time. The universal church, capital C, refers to all believers throughout all of history. It is scattered uh, throughout the world and even through time. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who lived before us, and Lord willing, there will be brothers and sisters in Christ who live after us, uh, and, and yet they are part of the church. Of course, we're living in a time, a season, in which even local churches have been scattered temporarily. But the Universal Church, capital C, has always been scattered and always will be scattered, at least on this side of heaven. But in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees a vision that I want us to try to envision ourselves this morning in our mind's eye. He sees a vision of a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. As difficult as it may be for us to believe, everything happening in the world is part of God's infinitely wise plan to bring about that day when His redeemed, who are scattered all over the world and throughout time, will be gathered around the throne of the Lamb. Until that day, until then, the fact that the church is scattered is not an accident. It is part of the outworking of God's wise and good plan. Today we are beginning a journey through the books of First and Second Peter, and I'm calling this series Letters to a Scattered Flock. There is a timely word for us here if we will have ears to hear. So let's read together in First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pause there and let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for who You are, that You are a God of grace and a God of peace. We're thankful that You are a God of wisdom and holiness. And Lord, in this time when we feel acutely the weight of our distance from one another, I pray that we would feel equally the, the glory of Your nearness to us, to us who are Your own, who have been called by Your name. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone listening to my voice right now who has yet to become one of Your own, that You would speak through Your Word and draw them to Jesus by Your Spirit. And we pray all this in His name. Amen and amen. We're going to use these two verses at the beginning of 1 Peter to help us get introduced to this book as a whole. And although Peter addresses this letter to people living in a certain area, it's clear that he has all believers in mind. There is a kind of universal nature to what he says. This letter is not just for them, it is for us. The most important identity-defining truth about you or me or any person is not our location in the world or our location, figuratively speaking, in the ranks of society. It is our standing in relation to a holy God. It's not whether you live in Pontus or Galatia or Cappadocia or Asia or Bithynia or Henderson or Goshen or Jack or Troy or wherever you may live. The most important identity marker about any person is whether they are in a relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, or not. Here's the big idea that I want us to track in these two verses. The big idea is this. God's people are secure in His love and scattered in the world. God's people are secure in His love and scattered in the world. That's my way of summarizing what Peter says when he addresses the recipients of this letter as elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and so on. Secure and scattered. Those, those are the two key words for us today. Secure and scattered. And those two things are simultaneously true. God's people are secure in His love. Nothing can change that. No circumstances, no hardships, no failures, nothing that you can do, nothing that could happen to you could possibly change the security that you have in the love of God for you if you are in Christ. There is a rock-solid security to the relationship that God's children have with Him as their Father. So that first truth that we are secure in God's love has to do with the relationship of God's people to God Himself. And the other truth, the second half of it, has to do with the relationship of God's people to 
the world. God's people are secure in His love and they are also scattered in the world. Again, those two things are simultaneously true. Secure in God's love, scattered in the world. We're going to start this morning with that second truth, the second half of the big idea, that God's people are scattered in the world. Peter addresses this letter to scattered flocks. He mentions five regions in verse 1. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Again, these are not cities. These were the names of Roman provinces, regions, large areas of land in what was known as Asia Minor. Uh, today, this area of land comprises the modern nation of Turkey. It's right on the border of, of Asia and Europe. Now imagine if I were to write a letter to all of the believers who are scattered throughout Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Florida, five states. There are some big cities in those states. You've got your Birmingham and your Atlanta and your Nashville and so forth. Some big cities, but there's also lots of rural areas, lots of places out in the country. That's pretty similar to what this area was like, this area that Peter was writing to, except it was even more diverse because even in those five states, you can pr go pretty much anywhere and find someone who speaks English. We all kind of have a, a common uh, sort of cultural heritage, but there was a great diversity of wealth and culture and background and even language in this area to which Peter was writing. But what all these believers have in common is that they are secure in God's love and that they are scattered in the world. And those, those things are true of us as well if we are in Christ. Now here's the thing. The church has always been scattered. It was not new when Peter was writing this letter. It's not new today. It has always been this way. In Acts 1.8 Jesus told His followers, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus' intention for them was to disperse. He told them before He uh, ascended, He said, Remain in Jerusalem until you receive power, and when you do, then you will Disperse. You will be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So his intention was not for them to stay huddled in one city, in one place. Now one of the ironies of the book of Acts is that the reason the church began to bear witness beyond Jerusalem, out into Judea and Samaria and beyond, was not necessarily because of obedience to what Jesus had told them to do. They began to disperse because of persecution. In Acts 7, you can read the story about the, the, uh, the death, uh, the execution of a faithful believer named Stephen. He was stoned to death. And Acts 8 begins by saying that Saul approved of his execution. Saul of Tarsus, who would later uh, go by the name Paul. Saul approved of his execution... And there arose on that day 
a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And, and notice this, they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. So Jesus told them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the catalyst that gets them moving outward in that direction is persecution. They're, they're scattered into the very places where Jesus had sent them. Of course, God did not approve of this persecution in the same way that Saul did. Saul looked on it and it, he approved of it in the sense that he was pleased by it. But God did allow it. He let it happen and he used that to disperse the church into the very places where Jesus had commanded them to go and be his witnesses. God permits the church to be scattered because he has a purpose in it and for it. Does that sound familiar? By the time Peter writes this letter, we can see that the church has been scattered even further. And in our day, we are experiencing a different kind of scattering. We haven't been scattered because of persecution. We've been scattered because of, of love. We're trying to be good neighbors, love our neighbors as ourselves. But I want you to see that the church has always been scattered and that God has always had a purpose in it. And this is true not only of the universal church, but also of the local church. Think about what we do when we are able to gather in person week after week. There is a brief time in the week when the church is gathered. We assemble together to praise the Lord, to hear His Word, to pray together, to fellowship with one another. Then we scatter into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools and so forth. We gather, then we scatter week after week. That is the, the pattern that God has given to us. There's an old hymn that says, we meet to part, but part to meet when earthly labors are complete. We meet to part and part to meet when earthly labors are complete. Every Sunday, the church gathers knowing that God has called us not to stay gathered, but to disperse and to fulfill our earthly labors. That's the rhythm of the church, meeting and parting, parting and meeting. One day we will be gathered eternally with the capital C church from all the world through all ages. Until then we gather so that we can be scattered. What we're experiencing right now is a temporary prolonging of that scattering. Normally we were only scattered for six days and then we gather again on Sunday. But of course our, our scattering is, is being prolonged at the moment. But what I, what I want us to see together is that this is not 
an accident. God was not caught off guard by this. He was not confused by it. He's not scrambling to come up with uh, contingency plans. This is all part of God's design for the mission of His church. We may not be able to parse out all the reasons why God would allow a global pandemic to unfold. We would be unwise to try. But one thing we can say for certain is that God is always moving history toward the day when His kingdom will come in its fullness and His people will be perfectly conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. Here's how we can try to put that point in a more direct and practical way. If you are in Christ, God has placed you wherever you are to be on mission. If you are in Christ, God has placed you wherever you are to be on mission. Normally, if you were gathered here with me in this room, I would say, when you go home, but you may very well be home right now. Uh, or, or when you're riding down the road, you may very well be listening to me while you're riding down the road right now. When you're at work, uh, don't be listening to me at work unless your boss is perfectly okay with that. I don't want you to get in trouble. But wherever you are, wherever you have to go in your normal course of life, that is where God has sent you to be on mission. Wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, none of that is an accident. God has sent you there. If you are in Christ, you have been commissioned. Again, normally we gather one day, then we're scattered for six. Right now the dispersion is lasting a bit longer than usual. But here's the thing. We can choose to be frustrated by that. We can choose to, to get our feathers ruffled and say, this is not what I planned. This is not convenient. And it's not. We can choose, to be quite frank, we can choose to waste this time, couldn't we? We could kind of sit back and say, well, I guess there's nothing I could do. But just wait it out. Or, or we could ask, how might God be working in this time? Not, not what is God going to do after this is over, but what's He doing right now? What is He wanting me to learn right this moment, today? And how might I use this time not to just catch up on my Netflix queue, although, you know, do what you got to do, but how might I use this time to grow in holiness to grow in my love for God and for others. If you're in Christ, God has placed you wherever you are to be on mission. So let's, let's go back to the big idea. The big idea was that God's people are secure in His love and scattered in the world. Those two things are simultaneously true. So the first truth we traced out is that God has scattered His people in the world. And that is not by accident, it is by design. More fundamental than that truth is that God's people are secure in His love. This is why He can send us into the world. This is why when someone puts their faith in Christ and they're born again, 
God doesn't immediately zap them up to heaven because He knows that they're secure in His love. He knows that nothing that happens in this world, nothing that has happened and nothing that could possibly happen in the future could ever take them away from His love. So He is content to leave us here. And as long as He has left us here, He has given us a, a mission and a purpose. But we need to know that we can go about that mission and about that purpose from a position of security in God's love. Not because we're trying to work anything, not because we're trying to earn anything or keep anything, but because He is keeping us. Now, so far, we've been focusing on God's people being scattered in the world. But I want you to look very carefully at verse 1 and notice how Peter phrases this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He does not begin his letter by saying, to the believers who are scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's not how he begins the letter. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in those areas. Now, when you really sort of boil it down, what he's talking about is he's talking about believers who are scattered in that, those areas. But he uses this phrase, elect exiles of the dispersion. And that phrase is absolutely loaded down with truth for us. Let's start with the word elect. This is simply a word that means chosen. Some versions translate it as chosen. And in verse 2, Peter clarifies what he means by that. In fact, some uh, translations even move the word elect to verse 2, depending on it, especially I think if you have the King James Version or New King James Version, it moves the word elect down to verse 2. To, to sort of make it clear that when Peter says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit and so forth, he's modifying the word elect. God's people are elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, notice all three persons of the Trinity. Father, Spirit, Son, they're all involved in the salvation of God's people. The Father foreknew, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit. Now the word sanctification, it's a way of describing the whole of the Christian life. It's a way of describing uh, growing in holiness, becoming holy but it's also a way of describing that singular moment when a person goes from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. That moment when someone is born again, as, as Jesus said in John 3, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the Spirit sanctifies a person and then he sanctifies them the rest of their life meaning He sets them apart at that initial moment of salvation. He removes them from the kingdom of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of light. And then He begins to make them holy like Christ. And the Spirit sets apart a new believer for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Again, 
Obedience to Jesus Christ is a way of describing the whole of the Christian life. But it's also a way of talking about that very first act of obedience when a person begins to turn away from sin and turn in faith to Christ. That repentance from sin and turning to trust in Jesus, that is a result of the Spirit's work. Now, Christians differ over how they define and understand what it means for God's people to be elect or chosen. But one thing we can all agree on is that God's people are beloved by Him. However you understand the mechanism of that, the result is that Peter is saying that you are God's people. He has set you apart and He has set His love on you. He has committed His entire person to you. Not because of anything in you, but purely by His grace. And the word elect or chosen is a word God consistently uses in the Old Testament to describe the people of Israel. Listen, for example, to what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 7. God says, For you are a holy, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Notice verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of who you are. But simply because He loves you. And when Peter addresses both Jewish and Gentile believers as God's elect or chosen, Peter is saying that what makes us God's people is not our ethnic background. It's not whether you are a literal ethnic descendant of Abraham. It is God's unmerited grace by which He freely bestows His love upon us. And because we did not earn that love... Because we did not achieve that love, there is nothing we can do and nothing that can happen to us that would cause God to remove His love from His people or would cause us to be separated from His love. That's why I say that God's people are secure in His love. In addition to calling us elect, Peter calls believers exiles of the dispersion. Your translation may say something like strangers or exiles scattered or something along those lines. And that's certainly what Peter means. God's people are scattered in the world. But it's a little bit more than that. Peter, when he, when he says that, uh, exiles of the dispersion, he uses a technical term, diasporas. If you're familiar with the word diaspora, diaspora is a way of referring to a group of people who are living somewhere outside what would be their traditional homeland. 
diaspora uh, is a, a phrase that was used to refer to Jewish people who lived outside the promised land. What Peter is doing here is he's taking that word, the dispersion, the diaspora, and he's applying it to both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. So what's important about that word is he's not just saying, you know, you're scattered. There are some here and some there. He's reminding us that whether you're scattered or gathered or whatever the case may be, God's people always have been and always will be exiles living in a place that is not our home. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. So until we are in His presence, we will be strangers, we will be foreigners, we will be exiles in the world in which we live. Now, if we can kind of glance ahead, and this is going to help us to think about some practical takeaways for us today, Peter is going to help us see that there are basically two equal and opposite temptations that we might fall into with regards to how we think about ourselves in relationship to God and to the world. The first temptation is to withdraw from the world and to rage against it. That's the first temptation, that we would withdraw from the world or rage against it. It's easy sometimes for followers of Christ to develop either a victim mentality where we think that the world is always out to get us or we develop a hostile attitude toward the world around us. When, uh, when Rebecca and I lived in Auburn before we got married, uh, I would sometimes go on, on campus at Auburn University and occasionally I'd you know, be walking along the, one of the concourses and there were these guys who would go out there on occasion and they would stand up on these walls and preach and I don't have anything against anybody who wants to stand up and preach, uh, but these guys, they were, they were preaching against the immorality of, of college students uh, wearing their baseball caps backwards and the immorality of, of college uh, girls walking around in their, in their Nike shorts. Uh, that's an example of having a needlessly hostile attitude toward the world. It doesn't do any good. It's pointless. Other believers sequester themselves away from any potential influence the world might have on them. So the, the first temptation is we would, we would withdraw from the world or rage against it. To say that we are exiles dispersed in the world does not mean that we have to hate the place where we live or the people among whom we live. It certainly does not mean that we should isolate and insulate ourselves from the world. On the contrary, in the Old Testament, when God's people lived outside the promised land, God instructed them, this is from Jeremiah chapter 29, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So it goes back to remembering that wherever you are, that is where God has sent you. God was reminding them through the prophet Jeremiah, I have sent you there. It's not an accident that you're there. And if I have sent you there, then it is for my good purpose. So seek the welfare of the place where I have sent you. 
living faithfully as God's people in the world does not mean that we have to withdraw from the world or rage against it. It means that we should seek to be good citizens, that we should be productive members of society, that we should be considerate and courteous neighbors, model employees, and so on. Not because those are the culturally appropriate things to do, although they happen to be, but because we want to honor our true king and live according to our citizenship in his kingdom. And what he tells us to do is to seek the welfare of the place where he has sent us. So the first temptation that we need to avoid is the temptation to withdraw from the world or to rage against it. And the second temptation is opposite of that, that we would love the world and be conformed to it that we would love the world and be conformed to it. God's people are called to be set apart, not separated from the world, but set apart within it. As Jesus put it in John 17, we are not of the world, but he has sent us into the world. We are not of the world, but he has sent us into the world. The key here is remembering who you are in Christ. We are tempted to find our identity in all kinds of things. We find it in our job, in our family, in our circle of friends, our social standing, our affiliations, our upbringing, our nationality, our region. Those things can all be perfectly well and good. But the most important thing about you, the thing that matters eternally, is whether you are in Christ or not. If you are in Christ, then no matter how troublesome or how enticing you find the world to be, you can be a recipient of the grace and peace that Peter speaks of in verse 2 when he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Think about Peter. Peter knew what it was like to receive grace and peace. Peter was one of the twelve who followed Jesus around during his earthly ministry. And Peter is the one who, to his great shame, on the night before his crucifixion when Jesus was being um, mocked and beaten and interrogated, and someone pulled him aside and said, Hey, aren't you one of those Galileans who knew him? He said, No, I never knew him. Three times he denied him to his great shame. And yet Jesus restored him. This letter to a scattered flock was written by one who had failed the good shepherd. The very existence of this letter is evidence that Jesus is infinitely willing to extend grace and peace to whomever will confess their sin and seek His forgiveness and His cleansing. So no matter how deeply or thoroughly or consistently you have failed, He is willing to forgive, to cleanse, and to restore you just as He did Peter. The only way to have true peace is by receiving true grace. You will never have peace in this life 
or in eternity unless you receive the grace of God. And grace means that you cannot do it yourself. It is a gift that you must receive in humility and in trust. Now, even though we can't have a time of, of public invitation, God's Word still demands a response. If God is leading you to make a decision, if He's at work in your heart and He's, He's leading you to make some kind of decision for Him, I want to encourage you, as soon as you finish watching this video, to reach out to me, send me a text or give me a call. I'd love to speak with you and pray with you and see how I can help you as you, uh, as you walk with Him. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would take His Word that we've heard together today and He would impress it upon each of our hearts and that we would live accordingly to it, but most of all that we would live in trust in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for how You've spoken in Your Word. We're thankful that You have not left us to our own devices to try to figure out what You're like or what You expect of us, but Lord, that You have spoken clearly. And I pray for every person hearing my voice right now that You would uh, move in their heart by Your Spirit, uh, cause them to be receptive to Your Word. And God, I, I pray the same thing that Peter prayed for his uh, recipients, for his readers. I pray for my listeners that Your grace and Your peace would be multiplied to them. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I leave you, I want to speak a word of blessing uh, to you. The shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep, who calls you by name, who never abandons his flock or allows his sheep to perish, preserve you in all the attacks of the enemy, hold you steady in all your sorrows, and keep you faithful in all your temptations. Amen and amen.